seriously. Well, we're going to continue in our series on Colossians. Um, and this uh, series is important because we want to see that, that, uh, that Jesus, uh, we want to learn about Jesus, but we want to make him the core of our life, the center of our life. And this is an important aspect of all of this. In the book of Colossians, the first two chapters, Paul helps us to see who Jesus is. He's really describing different aspects of him and how he works. And the last two chapters of Colossians, I'm simply breaking it down, but the last two chapters of Colossians, he's, he's talking about how we li live it out, how we walk it out. Uh, so it's, it's a great book, and we want to walk this through and enjoy, really, what it has for us. Let's pray, and then I will read uh, Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 5, and then we'll go from there. So let's, let's, uh, let's pray first. So, Father, thank you for your word. Your word has so many truths in it. Uh, we can continue to read it and read it every day of our lives and still learn more. So we ask, Lord, that as we look into this book and this section, these few verses in Colossians chapter 2, we pray, Lord, that you would bring things to light for us. Help us to look at things maybe a little differently in light of what your word says. So help us as, uh, as I share. Help us as we listen to what you have for us today. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let me read that. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Okay, as we look at this, this passage, I'm just going to go right to the, the main point here. It's with a living faith through the gospel, we can have the hidden treasures that are in Christ himself. With a living faith through the gospel, we can have the hidden tre treasures that are in Christ himself. Now, I was um, encouraged to read this book early on in my Christian life. The person that led me to the Lord uh, contacted me a month or two later, and they said, you need to read the book of Colossians. First of all, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, don't you just read it from cover to cover? Do you start going it? You know, I was a Christian. I was early on. I didn't know what to do with the Bible. I didn't know where any of the books were. It was a miracle. I found the book, 
in order to read it, but when I read it, it did not disappoint. It was uh, just rich. It had it impacted me uh, really my whole life. So we're going to take some things out of these verses. I have uh, some bullet points that we're going to look at this morning. And there are five of them. I'm just going to read all five real quick. And then we'll look at each one individually. Life, it's real, is the first one. Life, it's real. Filling the holes in life. The stuff you can be certain of. Everyone likes a good mystery. And the treasure hunt. It sort of sounds like Jeopardy categories. And we're going to choose the first one, which is life, it's real for $400. Okay, so... Life, it's real. Paul had concerns for this church. He, he wasn't sure. I, a lot of people say he'd never really visited in person because of verse, chapter five, uh, verse 5 in chapter 2, that um, he never really got to visit the church. But he knew about the church. He knew the people. He knew of them. Verse 1, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. He was struggling for them. And for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul had these concerns for Colossae and Laodicea. They were about 11, 14 miles apart, the two cities were. And they had two different churches. And they were really, he was really concerned about that. All pastors should have concern for their churches. We should have concern about how the people are doing and what they're receiving. Parents should have concerns for their kids. They should be wondering how they're doing and what they're learning and understanding. Even grandparents have concerns for the grandchildren. Are they being raised up? And we, and we start to worry about these things, and that's not where we're supposed to go. But there are concerns that Paul had in particular because of what was going on. You see, if you love a person or if you love a group of people, which Paul shared that, you want them to do well. You want them to grow. You want them to flourish in their lives. And Paul was, Paul was kind of a prayer animal anywhere. anyway. In, in chapter 1 of Colossians, he says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. He prayed for the churches, and we should be praying for our kids. We should be praying for one another. We should be praying for our church. He was a prayer animal. If we're not praying for our church or our spouse or our kids, if we're not doing these things, how do we expect them to grow in God? What's going to be? They're kind of left on their own to try to fend for themselves, there's something about prayer that God wants us to do for one another. Pray for one another. The reality is that Paul had a concern that they would grow in their faith, but he was concerned about people trying to change their faith. In verse 4, it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Delude, the word delude there means cheat you. That no one would cheat you out of something. Cheat you out of the salvation. Cheat you out of the benefits of the Lord. Cheat you out of the gospel message. The word plausible there, plausible arguments, 
has to do with the, the persuasive arguments that can happen. What was happening were there were false teachers there. He was writing to them to, to kind of head off any persuasion that was trying to be made away from the gospel, away from their faith, away from their hope that they would have. People would say that uh, basically Christianity wasn't true. It's not a true religion. It's not, it's not acceptable. It's some offshoot. It's just a bunch of stories and words and, and hearsay. Or they would add things to the gospel to make it more palatable to people. There was a, a reality of life here that we can learn from because we are faced with these things every day. People have been trying to persuade Christians to deny their faith and change their faith and adjust their faith for centuries. Why wouldn't it happen to us in this day and age as well? So we want to be careful when we read these things. And when Paul is saying, I don't want you to get cheated out of anything. I don't want you to be swayed about anything. We should pay attention to it because it's been happening throughout history. But basically, Paul says, and, and you know, in, in Paul's way of saying things, he's, tell, he's telling, like, we've got to put our spiritual big pants on, and we've got to move forward, and we've got to have a good foundation. We, we cannot be persuaded by somebody's good ideas to make things look better or different, or changing our view of the Bible. Today, nowadays, there's the whole deconstruction aspect of of people's faith. They basically take what they believe, they tear it apart, and then they bring it back together and they end up with something very strange instead of just sticking with what scripture says. Um, when my mother went to a, a very liberal theological seminary, what they did, and it's basically deconstruction, which was back then, it was back in the 60s, they would basically say, okay, we want you to forget about everything you believe because you, we want you to formulate your own theology and, and come about with something new. So whatever anybody had and held to that went to that seminary, which no longer exists, thank God, um, they would have to recreate what they believe. And usually it ended up not being scripturally based. It was brought in all kinds of things, Eastern religions, philosophies, whatever you had. And that's what um, my mother and I had many, many conversations about those things. So what Paul is saying here, let's be solid in our faith because life is going to push us back. Life is going to push us. And it's always going to give us something that we're going to have to say, wait a minute, that's not scriptural. That's not what I believe. We have to stand firm in what Scripture says. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, Paul talks about the, the importance of standing and having the strength of the Lord in how we live. Verse 10, it starts with, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. 
And having done all to stand firm, he says, stand therefore. So we're supposed to stand firm. And these oppositions that we get aren't always just human-related oppositions. There's usually some spiritual background to that that is pushing us in there. We could preach on that all day, but we won't. But we have to have our feet firmly planted in the gospel, able to stand in the faith no matter what. Because the reality of life wants to push us back. It wants to persuade us. It wants to cheat us out of our faith. And the Christians aren't supposed to be pushovers. So I say, don't be a pushover. I think Paul's kind of alluding to this in here. Don't be a pushover when it comes to your faith because people are going to be pushing back. The next point that he talks about here is we need to be filling in the holes of life. Filling in the holes in life. Just as prayer and standing is important in life, so is encouragement. Encouragement is very important. We all need encouragement. The first part of the second verse says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Paul is writing and praying to encourage the Colossians and the Laodiceans. They used to trade letters back and forth. He's writing to encourage them. Encouragement is, of course, the opposite of discouragement. Discouragement is like digging a hole of depression that starts. Maybe sometimes we take the teaspoon in the morning, we wake up and we start to dig a little hole because things aren't starting out very well and we, we start digging a little more and a little more and eventually we start, we talk ourselves into it, we start getting something bigger, we get a shovel and we're digging discouraging thoughts with our shovel after a while we haul in the backhoe and we're just digging out these big things and we start our day like that. And we need encouragement. When we don't have encouragement, we can easily be discouraged. That's why the Bible says to encourage one another daily. Or things can. I'm not saying they always do and that we're always that way, but they can go downhill very quickly, especially if you're getting this opposition from someone because of your faith. It can be as easily as getting up on the wrong side of the bed. It's a bad day. They have to work with icky people. You know, traffic is going to be icky. My kids are icky. They're sticky and icky. They're whining. Maybe it's because they need encouragement too, but that's what happens. We get other issues, financial issues, health issues, relational issues. All these things can tend to come upon us unexpectedly, and all of a sudden we start to get discouraged. Now, what we, and I, I want to share this, and this is just a thought I had actually early, early this morning about this. When we encourage someone, it is not the opportunity for us to share and, what's a good way? spew out all the icky things that we are thinking, okay? When you call someone to get encouragement, it's not to vomit all your icky things all over them 
and then you feel better. If you want to do that, go see a therapist. That's what therapists do. You can go to a therapist and you can tell them everything you want and that you'll feel better for a couple of days and then you'll have to do it again. If you want to be encouraged in the Lord, what you do is you call someone and you say, I need, I'm having an icky day, I need to be encouraged. Now, this can work both ways. The person that's listening, the encourager is not supposed to say, okay, what's happening? Because what happens is the person that says, I'm very discouraged, will start sharing all of those things. And they'll share more and more of those things. And what can happen is the encourager starts to say, well, I'm having a Vicky day too. And you start to relate and you both are start digging holes and you're going down and before too long, you have a swimming pool of discouragement, a foundation you have built of depression. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. When we encourage one another, we don't need to go into the vivid details of why. All we have to do is say, I need some help. I need to be encouraged. And I, I would encourage you, <laughs> encourage you to, to be cautious about that. The only reason why I'm bringing this up is I have done this. In counseling sessions, I have done this. I've taken on people's things and I didn't need to. I could encourage them in the Lord in a greater way. And what they did was they started to weigh on me as well. So what encouragement is, is filling someone's hole back up that they're starting to dig. You're supposed to fill it in with the things of God, the things of his word to encourage them. You're supposed to say, let's pray. I want to pray for you. You can do this. God is using you in this situation. There is good that comes out of it. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There are different things that we can look at it. He's made us more than a conqueror. We do not have to be satisfied with discouragement. We can move forward from that. Encouragement defined means in the Greek to call to one side, to come alongside of someone, to address someone, to speak to them, to, to call upon them which can be done in a way of exhortation or comfort or instruction, sometimes even correction. So encouragement is an investment. You're investing in someone else to help them, to comfort them, to entreat them. If we want, if you feel like you want to invest and change in someone's life, encourage them. Bring encouragement to them. Put your arm around them. Let them know that you're there. Let them know that God is there too. But again, all of this is encouraged together, being knit together in love. Love is the motivation behind all the encouragement. We love one another. There's always something in there that's tied together. God puts encouragement with love to give us the motivation because sometimes we don't like individuals and we say, oh, they need encouragement, but I don't like that person. Well, we're supposed to love that person. We're supposed to encourage that person. We're supposed to go to that church. We're supposed to overlook things because love overlooks things. We're supposed to bear one another in trial and see what God does to benefit the person. We can encourage and we can be encouraged. And that's what Paul is saying. I want you to be encouraged. 
to do this. We need to stand firm, encourage one another daily. We need to be motivated by love. And the third thing is the stuff that you can be certain of. Paul says you, there are certain things that we can be certain of, and this is going to help you in your walk. In the second part of verse 2, it says, to, re- to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding. All the riches of full assurance. It's t- in the New American Standard, it talks about the, the riches being wealth. It's a benefit to have assurance and understanding. It's good for us. Assurance defined is, it's, it's uh, an assurance with confidence. There's something there. It's, it's like in a promise. It's, it's fact. You know that you know that it's real. That's what assurance is talking about here. Your faith in the gospel is real. You should be assured of that. It's a fact. There are promises, and we can stand in those and be encouraged. The word understanding defined here is everything, and this is interesting because the word understanding, and I think this is important for us to realize, the word understanding means to flow. It means to be able to flow together, to be able to move together, to be able to have the information, but you're all going down in the same path, in the same direction. When a river flows, it's clear, it's clean, it's moving forward. When a river doesn't flow, if the water just gathers together, what it does is become, it becomes a swamp and it becomes cloudy, it becomes smelly, it becomes stagnant, bugs start to form in it. There's no clarity in there. For an example, I, when I went to the University of New Hampshire, or at least attempted to, I was a forestry major, and I went to Thompson School of Applied Sciences, and I didn't, you know, being a forestry major, I, I said, I like trees, I like the woods, I'll just hang out in there and I'll be a tree hugger the rest of my life and it will be just a fun time for me. I will enjoy that. One of the things, the first thing that I realized that I had to take was surveying. And I don't know if you've seen surveyors, they've been surveying around here quite a bit lately. But these guys with tripods, they look through this thing at a guy with a flag down there and they wave to each other and I said, well shoot, I can do that. I can wave to people and look through a surveyor thing, okay? Well, when I realized that what you have to do to survey is you have to learn trigonometry, and I went, well, can't do that. So I dropped out, basically. I changed my major. Trigonometry is not in my wheelhouse, never will be, never has been, and we moved on. It wasn't clear. I mean, no matter how much they explained it to me, it was not clear. It was becoming stagnant. It was becoming cloudy. I did not understand. So don't do math with me. My doctor wanted me to count backwards by sevens. I said, no, it's just not going to happen. So he probably put a black mark on my file. But anyway, for those of you that have been married any length of time, understanding is the key to communication. 
<laughs> we've had this. Every, every married couple had, what in the world are you talking about? You just don't understand what they're saying. You don't understand where they're coming from. It is not clear whatsoever. But when you understand, you're getting along. You're moving in the same direction. You're flowing together, and it's actually fun. But we don't take the time to understand. Understanding is also key in the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. We have to see it clearly, seeing what God has done. That we are sinners, that we are in need of forgiveness, that the punishment for our sin was paid by Jesus' death on the cross. When our eyes are open to that, we understand. We see it clearly. We have assurance of God's love, his sacrifice, his forgiveness, his salvation. And it's clear to us. We see it and we grab a hold of it and we want to live our lives accordingly. It's refreshing to us. There's a place in heaven being created for us. That is clarity. Nothing swampy. There's understanding. Let's look at the fourth thing that's going to be helpful for us. Fourth one is everyone likes a good mystery. How many of you like a good mystery? You guys like good mysteries? I like mysteries. I never get them right. Roxanne always tells me what happens before it's over. I just never get it. Even once it's over, I'm saying, what happened? What? But anyway, people like mysteries. Uh, the, the Greek word for mystery here is mysterion. That's the Greek word for mystery. And when we, you know, all of you, most of you have been to high school or college and, and uh, you usually at the end of your, your time, you get a yearbook. And in high school, in Northern New Hampshire, we went to high school in Northern New Hampshire, the name of our yearbook was the Spartans or the, the Spartan because the team was called the Spartans. I don't know why in northern New Hampshire there would be Spartans. You'd think they'd be called moose or something like that. But they were Spartans, and they had a picture of a Spartan helmet on it. But in college, where Roxanne and I went to college, the yearbook was called the Mysterion. And we're going, the Mysterion? What in the world? You know, so we're looking at that. So mysterion in the Greek, it means a hidden or secret thing not obvious to understand. And I'm going, why, why would they call our yearbook the mysterion unless it was mysterious and not able to understand something about me graduating? I, I wasn't sure what, the, what it was about. But it's God's mystery, and they wanted to, us to understand there's a mystery that God has for us that we want to understand, that we want to find out about, that it's clearly in the Word of God. We sang about it in the first song that we sang this morning, the mystery, the mystery of the gospel. In verse 2, I want to read all verse 2 here. I'm going to read it in the New American Standard Version. It says that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together with love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. Becoming a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. That's the mystery. Christ himself a true knowledge of God's mystery. 
true knowledge here is, is a precise or a correct knowledge. Now, many people believe that Jesus existed. That, that a lot of people, they don't have a problem with that fact. That he, they usually say he was a good man. He lived a good life. We can learn a lot from him. The books of the gospel to them are like just biographies about a guy that lived a long time ago. Some believe that the, the Bible is a fantasy. It's just it's some sort of fantasy book that somebody wrote. It's, it was like the Tolkien trilogy of long, long ago, and it's not. Some people think it's a story, there's entertainment, there's tragedy, there's mystery, but there's a happy ending. And it's true, but true knowledge requires correctness, precision, believing that what is written is true. What is told is true. What is preached about is true. That Jesus is not just the center of a book and a story, but he's the center of the universe. That he's the center of our lives. That's what Paul wants the people of Colossae to see. That this is a message that Paul wants them to protect. Don't change the message of the gospel. Make sure that it is precise. Make sure that it is correct. Make sure that it's happening in your life. And this is the message. Jesus, the Son of God, who loved the world so much, willingly came to die for our sins so that those who would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that he's coming again to gather his people. That is the mystery. You see, we have opportunities as Christians to make Jesus the core, the center of our life. We need to live for him. We need to tell people about him. We need to protect the message. In this generation, we need to protect the message of the gospel and pass it on to the next generation. As non-believers, you need to listen. The gospel message is one, a message of life and death. You need to see that you need a savior and ask forgiveness for your sins and make Jesus the core of your life. And then you should do what the Christians do. Protect the message, share the message. If you don't come, if you haven't come to know Jesus, come to him. If you do know Jesus, Jesus, make him the Lord of your life. The fifth point, the treasure hunt, the treasure hunt. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't know, do you, do you like looking for treasures? Do you like looking for valuable things? I, I used to like to, to try to find things, and I would put a value on them that really wasn't there like the time that I said I found a lot of diamonds. I think I shared this with you before. I found a lot of diamonds on the ground, and I gathered them up, and I put them in, in a little bottle, and I saved them, and I still have them to this day. You know what they are? Broken windshield glass, but they looked like diamonds. I still have them. I'll show them to you sometime. I'll sell them to you for millions if you'd like. But some people like to go antiquing, my, my sister-in-law is interested in going to Antiques Roadshow and bringing something that maybe has some outrageous value to them. During holidays, uh, sometimes my um, 
Some of my uncles, of course, would always eat too much, and then they would want to lie down and take a nap on the couch in the living room or whatever. And so as soon as they'd get up, we'd run over there and see how much change fell out of their pockets. It was treasure hunting, you see. These were important things and important events in our lives during the holiday meal. Oh, boy, Uncle, Uncle Howie's coming. He always has change in his pockets. You know, we'd always be happy about that. I'm not sure what your treasure is. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's things that you have. But, you know, a lot of times we look at life like it is the lottery. We just kind of buy a ticket. And that's our treasure hunt. Like last week, all the millions of dollars that were there, and people go, ah, this is my treasure. This is what I'm going to go after. Or... In the 1840s, the gold rush, everybody ran to California. We've got to find the gold. We've got to find the treasure. Only in Matthew chapter 13, um, it talks about the man who found a treasure. And when he found it, he buried it in a field, and then he went out and he bought the field. He spent everything he had to buy the treasure. The treasure, and there he's talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a treasure that is of great value that we can't even put a price tag on. And it is for us to pursue that and do whatever we can to have a great understanding of holding the treasure that God has for us. Now, treasure defined in this, the word treasure, which I was kind of surprised at when I looked at it, the word treasure is the word thesaurus. And I don't know if you remember in school, I don't know how you pronounce it, Rogets or Rogers, depending on whether you're French or not. Thesaurus, uh, it had all these words, synonyms and antonyms, and how you could use other words for the same words it used. It was a treasure house of words. Encyclopedias, early encyclopedias, they used to call thesauruses because they gathered together all these great bits of information that you would have and you'd be able to learn anything you could about whatever you wanted to learn about. Well, Jesus is the treasury. He's the storehouse of the precious things, the wisdom and the knowledge. That's what Jesus is. Wisdom here, meaning, and the, the word wisdom here doesn't mean just spiritual things that are out there. It also has to do with practical things. Jesus is the creator of all, of all things. So it's scientific things, but it's also theological things. People that deny the spiritual or people that deny the scientific, they're not wise. They're not even half wise because they're all tied together. God ties everything together so that we know these things. The word knowledge in this context is personally knowing the things of God and who he is. That's the context of what Paul is saying here. Jesus is the treasure of living. Without Jesus, you may think you're living. Without Jesus, you're missing the most important part of your life a relationship with your creator is the greatest thing that you can have there's no other greatest treasure out there so winding up here this is paul's concern that life is real 
It has its twists and its turns. He wanted people to be prepared for that, to be aware for it, of it so that they could stand against these things. He wanted to fill in the holes of discouragement that can happen because of all the things in life that are going on so that you, they could encourage one another. He wanted them to be certain of their faith and their relationship with God. And he wanted to, uh, them to understand the mystery of the gospel, that someone would have such love that they would give up the place they had in heaven to come and die for their sins. That's an amazing mystery to us. And he wanted them, as he wants us to do, to seek the treasure that is in Christ. Paul wasn't at the Colossian church that they know of, but in verse 5 he says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So what I want to do is pray for us. Just as Paul, maybe the people of Colossae never saw Paul. Well, we've never seen him. But the things that he shared and the things that he taught can cause us to have a firmness of faith and an assurance in our lives of who Jesus is and how he can affect not just us, but those around us. So I want to pray for us in closing and uh, that God would move upon our own hearts in this. So let's pray. Father, thank you for, for your word. Lord, there are so many things we can look in. There is so, many, so much in the treasure chest of who you are so many things that we can learn, so many things that we can apply to our lives, Lord. And we know that we can't take it all in at once. But Lord, we pray that you would help us this day, no matter what it was in this message, that there was something that we can grab onto, Lord, that we can use even tomorrow as we wake up in the morning that you would help us to be able to stand firm, help us to be able to encourage, help us to be able to understand and have knowledge. Help us to understand the mystery and how powerful that mystery is. And Lord, we ask that you would, you would continue to give us that understanding of our relationship with you because there's nothing greater to have you than to have you at the center of our lives. So use this time, use this word, use your, really use your spirit to speak to our hearts. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.